Please stand if you are able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Um, Stick with me. It's a long one, and I will try to read slowly. Um, We'll read together the verses in bold. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. The way a person stands or how they talk. And their mannerisms can often reveal a lot about their personality. But the way someone walks might say a lot about them too. According to some studies, the way you walk might reveal something about your personality or your mood or your self-esteem. There are those who drag their feet, literally, Some walk very fast and focused, while others are a little slower and maybe a little bit more deliberate. There are some who have a happy bounce to their step, more on their toes than on their heels. There are short striders and there are long striders. There are those who look down when they walk and there are those who look forward. Some experts have labeled the different kinds of walkers and their corresponding character traits, to name a few, 
There's the driver, and I won't explain all of these. There's the supporter, there's the corrector, there's the arm crosser. Well, I have found that there's one in particular, the influencer, to be the most interesting. And if I would, let me read you the description. If you walk with your chest forward, shoulders back, and your head held high, there's a good chance you're an influencer. Another key factor is that, like the driver, you walk quickly, but you have a springy pep in your step. Influencers are also engaged with most of the people they pass and tend to smile, wave, and make eye contact or shout a friendly hello. So annoying, isn't it? <laughs> and we live in California. I know we don't say hello to people when they walk. Now, according to the study, a lot of politicians and celebrities have this particular uh, influencer gait. If you are an influencer, you are fun, you're charismatic, you're socially adept, but some people may think you're a little much. Over-the-top personality tends to, be the, tends to hog the, high, uh, the spotlight and sometimes rob it from others when they have the right to it. And so, you know, I, 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 don't get me wrong, I love influencers, and I, I, um, I, I, and I am not one. <laughs> you can tell by my walk, uh, I am not an influencer by any means. Uh, but the way you walk says a lot about your personality. In a letter to the church, at Ephesus, Paul, the author of this particular letter, makes a similar correlation between our walk and our personality. According to Paul, our walk reveals our true identity. This is not the first time that Paul has mentioned our walk in this letter. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Two weeks ago, I preached on chapter 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In chapter 4, verse 17, last week Brad preached on this section, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And in verse 24, it seems to say, um, on quite the contrary, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul will repeat this three more times in our passage this morning, the word walk literally means to live or to conduct one's life. Let me try to explain to you uh, some, just some of the research and some of the, the, the research I've done through the Old Testament. But here in the Old, in the Old Testament, the word walk is the Hebrew word halak. Now listen to how one commentator describes this. He writes, the Christian life is a journey that we are to walk on his path. The word Torah, you may know the word Torah, is usually translated as law, but to the Hebrew it meant the journey. 
To a Hebrew, command is the direction for the journey. And so when God gives law or God gives command, it's the direction in which they are to go. You may remember the psalmist in chapter 1 talks about the righteous versus the wicked. Again, the righteous is traveling on the true path or the true journey or the true way. And the wicked is lost from that path. And again, Old Testament and New Testament describe walk in very similar manners. And again, it's that, that we live this life on a journey where we have the, the law of God as a guide and a lamp for our feet. We are in a series that we're calling um, One in Christ as we walk, again, pun, pun intended, through this book of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus reminds them of their identity as those united to Christ. This morning, we're looking at a longer section than we normally do. It's a little bit longer uh, than I'm comfortable doing in our time together this morning. Uh, but we'll take a look at a closer look at just two verses, if, if you will, uh, verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, Paul writes these words. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And then in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I think these two verses really set the, the stage for the rest of the passage. Again, I believe that these two verses kind of outline for us the pattern for the, the rest of this section that we're looking at this morning. Now, again, as, as you look at this section, and as you um, maybe uh, new to the Christian faith or maybe curious about the Christian faith, you might get the impression that the Bible is, is pretty keen on our, our, on our behaviors, our patterns, our habits, the way we walk or the way we live our life. Verse 3 and the following suggest all sorts of sins and transgressions that are to be avoided at all costs. And again, if you are new to the faith or curious about the faith, you may be wondering, what's the Christian faith all about? You may have heard of the Ten Commandments, these rules or these laws or these regulations that, that prohibit us or pro, uh, uh, provide a, a, or, or are forbidden from doing all sorts of stuff, um, that the Christian faith is all about rules and regulations, about do's and do nots, about obedience to laws as a way of acceptance with God. You may get that sense as you read sections like the one you read this morning. You may get the sense that so much of the second half of the book of Ephesians speaks of right behavior and, and decency and conduct befitting those who call themselves Christians and easily look at the Bible as a, a book of do's and don'ts. Now, don't get me wrong, there are rules and guardrails, I think, in the Bible. Yes, there's wisdom literature in the Old Testament, like the book of Proverbs, that raises questions about values, about moral behavior, and about right conduct. And certainly there are laws given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament and to the church in the New, but never as a way of acceptance with God. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that the letter is neatly divided into two sections. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, about spiritual truths 
And then in the second half, chapters 4 through 6, how to apply those truths. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with high society to which we belong. And chapters 4 through 6 deal with the high life to which we have been called. Now, up to this point, we've covered a lot of doctrine and a lot of theology. And as we begin chapter 4, there's a, I'm sorry, as we begin chapter 5, uh, there's, again, has been a shift of, of momentum from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from indicative to the imperative, from position to practice, from exposition to exhortation, from things to be believed to things to be done. You know, again, if you're uh, organizing the book of Ephesians, it's easy. It's, it's fun that Paul wrote it that way. Chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. And I made that argument, I think, two weeks ago. But if I could this morning, I will tell you that there's an overlap of both. There's an overlap of, of doctrine, I think, in chapters 4 through 6. And there's a lot of imperatives and, and exhortations and, and encouragement to li right living in chapters 1 through 3. It's all intermixed. And as we read through the second half of Ephesians, Paul does not want us to forget this very simple truth, who we are. Everything Paul says in this passage goes back to our spiritual identity, who we are in Christ. If it hasn't happened, uh, if, it, if it hasn't yet been grasped, Paul tells us who we are. He tells us we are dearly loved children. Follow Christ's example, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children in verse 1. Let me make a few observations from our text this morning. I believe the first two verses of this section sets the tone for the rest of the passage. First, again here, he tells us that we are not just children, but we are dearly loved children. Let me read you an article by Gordon McClellan entitled, God's Beloved. He says this, if someone asked you to describe who you are, what would you say? Would you ever choose the descriptor loved by God to describe yourself? Usually, this is not the first thing to pop into our minds, and yet it is the very thing that God wants us to realize above all else. As the Apostle John wrote in his first letter, it is not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John also captured this point in the beginning of, the, of his gospel when he wrote, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And above anything else, God wants us to recognize ourselves as His beloved creation for whom He sent Jesus Christ to reveal the truth of His total and unyielding love, unquote. If you had to describe yourself, what descriptor would you use? How would you describe yourself? And Gordon McClellan argues that, again, if we would, our whole outlook would change if we saw ourselves as dearly loved children of God. It is often the case that when a young couple comes to my, my office planning their wedding, 
they gravitate towards this, uh, gravitate towards this wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind. You know, love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And at the end of that section, it says, love never fails. The young couple may not realize that the description Paul gives of love is a description of the manner in which God loves us. When the young couple comes to the office, such a choice seems to summarize, again, their love for each other, the way they want their family and their friends to understand how deeply they love one another. But when you read through 1 Corinthians 13, and when you read through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul, the author of both of those sections, doesn't want us to miss the point that these are not necessarily just about how well we love one another, particularly in marriage, as we all know how, that, how easy that is. But it's about God's unwavering and relentless pursuit of us in love. And so Paul uses this descriptor, beloved, or dearly loved children. A beloved person is one who is dearly loved. And what's fascinating, as, as Paul is giving this description of the church, those who have been redeemed, those who have been bought with the precious blood of Christ, those who were once not a people who have become a people of God, those who had not known mercy, who now know mercy, those who have been dead in their trespasses and sins, but have been made alive in Christ, uses the word beloved, the same beloved word that God uses of His own Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I love. The way God sees us. A beloved person. One who is dearly loved. As you and I both know that not all children are loved. But he tells us that he not only calls us his children, but beloved or dearly loved children of God. The second thing that Paul calls our attention to is that he loved us through the sacrificial act of his son. In verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this, that, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus is not only the model of perfect love, he's the reason for all Christian love. And that's why Paul, when discussing right living, includes right thinking. Because again, right living flows right out of right thinking. Christ's death on the cross reconciled us to God, the supreme act of love. And if, there's ever, and if we're ever going to have a chance at walking in love, it's going to be in response to the great love of God for us. That's why Jesus says greater love has no one than this. And he goes on to tell us what he will do, what he tells his disciples in the upper room in the Last Supper, the night before he would be betrayed. 
In John chapter 13, it tells us he, he, Jesus, showed them the extent, the great extent of his love. By taking off his clothes and, and girding himself with a towel and then beginning to wash the feet of his disciples. And then saying, greater love has no one than this. That he laid down his life for his friends. I love what John Stotts, the great theologian and, and author, said about Jesus. He said, what dominated his mind was not the living, but the giving of his life. Jesus knew that what he was, going, uh, what he was doing as he walked the road to the cross, again, he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed. And that knowledge didn't turn him away. He walked on bound by his love for God. And for us, he let the mission of God determine the path he walked. He wasn't surprised when it all started going down. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew his trial would go bad. He knew the cross was coming, and he accepted it in love for us. And so when we read the first two verses of chapter 5, again, we are, are given these, these words that dictate to us the rest of the section. Because in verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as we read this, it's not about, mind you, about what we do so much as who we are. Or to say it another way, what, do, what we do flows out of who we are. When we know who we are, it's not hard to figure out what we are supposed to do. You know, you may be wondering why we teach so much doctrine and theology from the pulpit. It's because we think that a right understanding of God and a right understanding of us rightfully determines how we live, what we do, how we interact with one another. That's why, again, when we hear the gospel story, the true gospel story about God's free gift of salvation to us, it frees us up to love one another well. Gospel doctrine, I think, dictates gospel living. The way we think about theology and doctrine, the way we think about, again, the right way of looking at chapters 1 through 3 and the great mercy of God, but God being rich in mercy determines how we live. I think we can leave here without any application, without me telling you what you need to do or what you shouldn't do, those places that you should go to and those places that you should avoid. But unless we grasp this fact about God's overwhelming love, and if it doesn't go from our brain to our heart, it, it doesn't change anything about how we live. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. If I could, I'm going to have, a, I think I have a PowerPoint up there. Maybe. Did it disappear? Okay, it's not up there now, and I think it's okay because um, I worked hard on it. <laughs> to totally kidding. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, 
it's not that. Let me, let me read verses 1 and 2 again. Now again, let me read verses 1 and 2 in the way that it was written. There we go. Can we go to the next one? No, no, actually maybe back up. Okay. Um, let me read it for you. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You've heard me say that, I think, now three or four times. But if I were to read verses 1 and 2, it might read something like this. Therefore, as beloved children, be imitators of God. I don't know if you, you caught that. The way it's written is, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. But what if we were to read this section and say, therefore, as beloved children, be imitators of God. Or in verse 2, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. You know how badly I think we need to hear this in the church? Because I think even in the church, we get these, these things distorted and disordered, and we think about uh, right living and right behavior and right conduct as a way of pleasing God, as a way of being acceptable before God. And, and again, when we read this, and again, the way it's supposed to be read is, again, God loved us, and he's, he's given us a descriptor. You are loved children of God. You were once enemies of God. You were once alienated and separated from the love of God. But God in his great mercy, being rich in mercy, and abundant and abounding in love, loved you with an incredible love that he would give his, his one and only son. And this act of love, if it doesn't prompt your heart, then we don't understand the gospel because, again, as dearly loved children of God, we're to imitate the one who made us. We're to be followers of the one who created us and saved us and redeemed us and made us as one of his own, as, as a part of his team, had crossed over from, from death to life, from darkness to light, from strangers and aliens as friends and, and sons and, and daughters of God. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us, Shouldn't that be what prompts us to walk in love? We are to imitate our Heavenly Father because we are His children. To imitate God means that we follow His example because we have, we have entered God's family by a new birth. John chapter 3 tells us we belong to God, we bear His name, and we share a family resemblance. And so again, if the gospel is clear, it's not we do these things in order to find some sort of acceptance before God. We don't do these things in, in a way or, or fashion to say, God, do you love me more? But we love God simply as a response. We worship him on Sundays simply out of, of, out of gratitude for what he's done for us. 
We love one another. That's what Christ did for us. In John chapter 13, and again, at the very end of that story, Jesus, he says, I give you this example. And he says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. And I think I said this two weeks ago, a new command. Again, it was new because, again, Jesus says, as I have loved you, love one another. And there's, it's so profound, I think, because it's not just a set of rules and a, and a set of laws where God says, do these things. But Jesus says, I've, I've done those things for you. Again, Ephesians has two major sections, verses 1 through 3 and 4 through 6. Again, gospel doctrine that leads to gospel culture. Right living before God. Right thinking leads to right living. Gospel doctrine creates a gospel culture. And again, as we look at this, gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Christianity doesn't look at a cleaner version of your regular life. Christianity is a whole new life. Christianity is imitating God and walking in love as Jesus did. And we have not only the perfect model, we also have the perfect power who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I mean, Brad said it last week. He said, um, you know, before we met Christ, before Christ saved us, we were unable to not sin. And how profound. And yet after Christ, we have the ability In gospel teaching, the imperative rests on the indicative. And this order is not, my friends, reversible. Our obedience rests purely on that loving relationship. They do not form the relationship. We obey because we are loved. If you didn't get one of these books, there are some on the welcome table. They're free. Uh, grab one as you're leaving, and if, you, if there's no more, please come by my office. I would love to give you one. In this section, if I can find it, on page 175 of this book called Gentle and Lowly by, by uh, Dane Ortland, uh, he says this, and I thought this was so profound. He writes, Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. And the gospel story, the reason why it's so profound and so powerful, I think, is because when, when God gives us the gospel, right, when, when we have the gospel in our hands, again, it's not that God wants us to clean up our behaviors and, our, and get our act together. You know, God isn't interested in just behavior modification. He isn't interested in just getting a little better version of, of a horrible self. He's interested in raising dead people to life and giving us a brand new heart. And again, as, as Brad preached last week, giving us a, a brand new self 
and the ability to, to give glory to God. I have so much, I actually have uh, two, three more pages of notes. I'm going to get things real quickly here. There's a lot. Let me finish with this. In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21, let me read that section. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Paul writes these words. He says, look carefully then how you walk. There's that word again. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, this, is, this whole section is really, again, it hinges on the first two, be imitators of God and walk in love. And the rest of it, when you get through it, is like avoid sexual immorality and, and debauchery and, and all sorts of things. And he's saying, you know what? Again, we avoid these things as, as a response, again, as dearly loved children, as uh, those walking in love. And then again, in verses 15 through 18, again, I love the, the juxtaposition of uh, these um, uh, opposing ideas. Again, he says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of your time versus not, not being foolish, but understanding what the Lord's will is, not getting drunk with wine, but being filled with the spirits. And then again here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What are these things? These are a witness. As we practice these things, this is a, a witness to a watching world. How does someone come to know the, the great mercy of God? In one way, it's through the witness of the church. It's through you and me. It's how we treat one another. It's how we walk as wise and, and not unwise. As those who make the most of every opportunity, not again times. Again, these are not just how I spent my hour or how I spent my minutes or my, my days, but again, those opportunities that come our way as we make the most of them. Not being foolish, but understanding God's will. Not getting drunk with wine. Again, here's the, 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 uh, the thoughts that's, that's contrary to that. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Again, here, rather than being uh, drunk on wine, he says, instead be influenced, right? Again, we use that word and when it comes to alcohol, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in those opportunities that come to be, to be wise people who make wise decisions and can do these things and get everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he finishes with this, the fifth one, he says, submitting to one another how we love one another, how we submit to one another is a witness of the gospel of the great love of Christ. My friends, this is the gospel story. 